Hello, and welcome to the Movies Past and Present podcast. It's October 17th, 2019, and this is episode 35. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just like my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. Anyway, in theaters this week, we've got two sequels. First up is Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, which is an action fantasy from the Walt Disney Studios. This movie is a sequel uh, of Maleficent, which came out about five years ago, which starred Angelina Jolie as the iconic Disney villain, Maleficent, and then Elle Fanning as uh, the little Princess Aurora, uh, a.k.a. Sleeping Beauty. So uh, I have actually was able to see Maleficent and Mistress of Evil at, at an early screening, and I'll be reviewing it in this podcast. So more to come on Maleficent and Mistress of Evil. Uh, it's rated PG for intense sequences of fantasy action violence and brief scary images. Next sequel is Zombieland Double Tap, which is a horror comedy from Columbia Pictures. This actually, uh, you know, the original Zombieland came out in 2009, so it's been a decade, um, and it became a hit, a hit film and a cult classic. The original lead cast is all back for this film, so it's Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Abigail Breslin, and Emma Stone, and they're reunited with the director of the original film, uh, Ruben Fleischer. So uh, this this film is you know a dark comedy. It looks like again like the original, um, and. Uh, as the press materials say, it's through comic mayhem that stretches from the White House and through the heartland. These four slayers must face off against the many new kinds of zombies that have evolved since the first movie, as well as some new human survivors. But most of all, they have to face the growing pains of their own snarky makeshift family. So, uh, Zombieland Double Tap is rated R for bloody violence, language throughout, some drug use, and sexual content. So, two... New sequels in theaters this week. Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and Zombieland Double Tap. Okay, so as I mentioned... Uh, in reviews this week, I'm going to be talking about Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. It is really one of the weirdest films I've seen this year. <laughs> let, me, let me explain. So, uh, the, the original film came out five years ago. I mean, I went in with a big chip on my shoulder. You know that I'm not a fan of these, of these quote-unquote remakes or even these revisionist remakes of beloved animated properties that Disney uses. You know, that's pretty much, um, I think... The majority of the content that we're going to be getting from them from here till forever and uh their quote-unquote remake of or yeah so the remake of sleeping beauty that they named maleficent was really truly uh a completely different retelling of this story and uh it turns out what they did is really turned angeline or maleficent who's played by angelina jolie in both the original and the sequel into a misunderstood heroine. So, 
uh, she's really the one who saves the day. She's the one who actually raises Princess Aurora and saves the kingdom and, you know, saves herself from, from the evil king, you know, Aurora's dad and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I think the thing that I the most <laughs> ticked me off was the horrible marketing campaign they had for that original film five years ago. Which was something to the effect of learn the real story of what happened to Sleeping Beauty or learn the real story of what happened to Maleficent. I was like, are you kidding me? She's the mistress of all evil. She's not some misunderstood, you know, character that we need to have pity on, which is the way they portrayed her. But whatever. Um, I think it was, I think clearly it was, a, it was enough of a hit that they decided to go ahead and make a sequel. So here's the sequel, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. And, uh, both Angelina Jolie and Elle Fanning are back in their respective roles of Maleficent and and uh, Princess Aurora. So uh, Princess Aurora is now the 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 main ruler of the Moors, which is that f- kind of fanciful land where the uh, first film also took place, where we've got like all sorts of of fantasy creatures and fairies and walking trees and all these things that I'm sure I'm sure have names um, but uh, in this film though which really is just kind of like a Disney version of games of Game of Thrones in fact that's what I'm picturing of what went on in some of these decision making <laughs> meetings they're just like well, what if we had a, you know like a Disney version of Game of Thrones and so they they turned to uh, this Maleficent creative team to to make that happen so we've got the we've got the Moors that Princess Aurora is is over Maleficent someone's been spreading a lot of bad information about Maleficent plus you know she's just scary anyway right so so uh, she has kind of banished herself and she's hiding up in the cliff where she can overlook Princess Aurora and she uses that crow guy that, uh, you know, he can turn into a crow and, and go spy on, on uh, or excuse me, not a crow, a raven, <laughs> sorry. He, he uh, turns into that raven and then he can spy on Aurora or watch over her and then he can go back and report Maleficent what's happening you know she'll turn him back into a human anyway um so but Maleficent's watching from afar uh turns out that uh Princess Aurora and Prince Philip they get engaged you know Prince Philip is 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 the rules from an adjoining kingdom I guess you get to say it's his parents and he's he's the prince uh but his his mom and dad are king and queen and his mom is played by Michelle Pfeiffer who plays a character named Queen uh, Ingrith. So really the question of the film is, who is the mistress of evil? Is it uh, Maleficent or is it uh, Queen Ingrith? At least that's how I'm how I'm viewing that title because the title itself I think is also kind of weird. Um, but anyway, this whole Game of Thrones thing goes on. We're introduced to another character who's played by the actor she would tell Aya for. And um, he plays a dark fae. Uh, Maleficent is a dark fae. Uh, you know, so it's a, it's a dude he's got the big horns and the big wings. And uh, turns out there's a whole group of these, of these uh, dark fays that are in hiding because the, the humans have tried to kill them. 
And so they're, they're in these gigantic caves underground so they can peacefully live their lives, but still they, they, they ultimately hope that they can, can peacefully coexist with the humans, you know, up in the, in the regular part of the world. So it, uh, the, the film goes, it, it actually has kind of a promising start because it's just, again, it's almost so weird. It's like, what is this movie? You know, <laughs> this isn't just some kind of rehash of of the first one. And and it's not going in that weird route of, oh, let's tell you what really happened to Sleeping Beauty. So, of course, there's Prince Philip and Princess Aurora, like, you know, in the animated uh, classic from Disney. But, but that's really the only similarities. It just, it just goes off into a very different kind of direction. So the uh the film uh sadly just it looks great but the the plot just gets weirder and weirder as the as the movie continues and and then you know kind of in a way dumber and dumber which is too bad because again a promising start and the production design is stunning i you know that first maleficent I just remember thinking it was just all kind of CGI throw out that that because all, all the all the all, you know all the fan all the fairy characters and everything they were all computer generated, and I just remember looking so unappealing. And this one, I think they've really stepped up their their game. And of course, technology continues to improve, but but this this kingdom that they created looked beautiful. It was just like a place that you wanted to spend time in and again you knew it was computer generated but it still just looked very appealing and interesting and, and wonderful so so that part was was cool and, and the castle that queen ingrith lives in is just a knockout it's just i just think the the design that they did of it was amazing and uh of course i just love michelle pfeiffer I have this thing I call the Michelle Pfeiffer adjusted scale, <laughs> where even if the movie isn't very good, if she's in it, it'll get a bit of a bump, because I just I love her and the kind of that was part of it for this one. But honestly, it was more of the production design <laughs> that I think gave this film its its little bump up. But uh, sadly, the film really really uh, goes into a weird a weird place, and it just never really recovers. One of my big complaints, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, is that. Uh, I wish that Angelina Jolie had more to say and more to do in this film, or that Maleficent did. I mean, hello, it's the movie's named after her. I swear, 90% of this movie, all she does is just kind of look, either kind of a combination of mad or misunderstood. And she's not saying anything. So we don't know, we really don't know, like, where she's coming from, what what her motivations are, what she's feeling, what she's doing, what she wants to do. And that's really frustrating because I think that would have ha, have helped, and maybe again we can make some kind of assumptions about about that. And 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 of course they're telling the story through through her actions, not necessarily her words, but it really could have used a little more exposition, I think, and uh, and some explaining so we could understand a bit about her her motivations and and um, and whatnot. And then uh, Michelle Pfeiffer plays a pretty delicious villain. But still, it's you know, it gets a bit kind of simplistic and and uh, and 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 rote and just not not that interesting ultimately overall. So, uh, you know, they're those horribly annoying three good fairies 
from the first one. They're back in this one. Thankfully, they're not on screen a lot. Um, I thought those characters were horrible. And I know that they were meant to to come off that way, to be annoying, because it's Maleficent who really raises Princess Aurora in this in this retelling of the story. But, oh, horrible, horrible, horrible. So uh, I'd give Maleficent Mistress of Evil a two-and-a-half-star review out of five stars. And uh, I think they I think they tried hard. Again, beautiful production design and some interesting ideas that just don't just can't get uh, cross the finish line in in a really in a really good way. So uh, there you, there you have that. So so uh, uh, be interested to hear what you think of Lefts and Mistress of Evil. Have to drop me a line. <laughs> Let me know. Let me know what you think if you if if you go if you go see it. In classic cinema corner. I just want to give you a quick update of my TCM Essentials project. You know, I've been uh, watching. A series of 52 movies that are recommended recommended in a book called TCM Essentials, which is by the film historian uh, Jeremy Arnold, and I have just absolutely loved this film watching project. I've been having so much fun. Many of these films I've already seen, but the the book is excellent. It gives a short essay about each one of these films and some different tips on what to look out for, what you know, what makes this interesting. Quotes from, from various uh, TCM luminaries, particularly Robert Osborne, you know, the late, great uh, Turner Classic Movie host. And I've, I've just had a, had a great experience. The last three movies that I've watched uh, were Roman Holiday from 1953, Seven Samurai from 1954, and On the Waterfront, from also from 1954. And I tell you, I mean, these three movies... Two of the which I've seen before. This was actually the first time I had actually sat through all of Seven Samurai. I've seen portions of it, but I've never seen the whole thing all in in one sitting. So uh, I I just thought I just go over these three, and then again just highly recommend these three movies to you if if, if either if you haven't seen them or if there were. Uh, again, old favorites that would be wonderful to revisit. So first up is Roman Holiday. I just never can get enough of, of this film. In fact, when it was over, I instantly just wanted to, to watch it again. I just think it's the, the you know, it's Audrey Hepburn's uh, first film, uh, directed by the great William Wyler. Uh, honestly, the Gregory Peck and, and Audrey Hepburn are just the most charming uh, couple. You're familiar with the, the with the premise that Audrey Hepburn plays a princess who, speaking of princesses, <laughs> right, uh, but who is really fed up with her and a modern day princess. So, and who basically just has to go uh, tour around and meet and meet dignitaries and be formal all the time, and she's really in a gilded cage, and uh, she's she's fed up with it. And so, finally, one night in Rome, she runs away. And um, she meets up with Gregory Peck, and Gregory Peck is a, an American living in Rome. He's a news, news newspaper reporter, and uh, who's a bit down on his luck, 
but he, he meets up with the princess and then it turns out this could be this could be quite the scoop because how what they decided to do on the princess's family's end is just to say that she's 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 uh, ill so she's not able to meet her social engagements because she's currently ill while they're traveling in Rome and uh, but what really she's 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 out learning how to experience life and and she and Gregory Peck fall in love and uh, it was filmed in Rome so the location shooting is great the romance is great it makes me cry every time uh, I mean it's a bit it's you know it's a bit bittersweet if you haven't seen it I won't I won't spoil it but but uh, wow what a what a wonderful wonderful movie. Uh, next up, Seven Samurai from 1954. So this 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 film is is it's a Japanese film, and uh, it was really uh, a knockout. I uh, was so impressed by. It. I know it's highly influential. I think one of the things that really kind of turned me <laughs> not so much turned me off, but was a bit of a barrier to entry was it's it's three plus hours long and. It's uh, it's in black and white, which is which is not a problem. Uh, but you know, again, from the time period, but it is uh, really uh, an epic. So it's this epic samurai drama. It's directed by Akira Kurosawa, the uh, the esteemed uh, Japanese uh, film director, and it takes place kind of in the late fifteen hundreds. During the time of Japanese history, where there would be these uh, horrible bandits that would come to just to small farming communities, and basically, you know, rape and pillage uh, the women and 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 take all the crops and then burn the village down. So I mean, just these horrible, and and the villagers are all scared to death about it. Um, so they they've they've been threatened by another by a, another band of these of these bandits. And they decide um, that they are actually going to hire some samurais uh, to protect to protect them from this from this next round and to try to beat these bandits. And uh, I, it, it, you know, so it's it's a very methodical film because it goes through the, you know, you you learn about the the village. They, you know, you see all the hiring, all the interviewing, all the hiring of the samurai, uh, how that this dynamic all works, how the dynamic of the samurai, you know, how they are together. And then ultimately, kind of in the second half is when we really see how this, this, this battle goes down, um, goes down with them. Uh, it, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people rank it as one of the greatest films uh, ever made, uh, and and I think I think I would I would concur. I was so so uh, moved and so impressed by by uh, by this film. And again, and I'm just reading it. It was all, it was in Japanese with English subtitles, and and uh, I just never tired. I just never tired of it. And it, and it's 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 so. It's so compelling. Kurosawa was such a good director, such excellent use of uh, of the camera, such excellent use of black and white, uh, and and also I understand at the time it was one of the most expensive films ever made in Japan. Uh, 
you know, I think they were they were building all these village sets and whatnot, and it all looked like it was filled out or filmed out in in the countryside. So you know, some kind of a, in, in a rural in a rural setting, but really a brilliant, wonderful film. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend the Seven Samurai, or if if you have seen it, uh, might be worth check, you know blocking out some time <laughs> and checking it out again. All right, last one of this of this trio is on the waterfront from 1954. And this film, uh, directed by uh, the great Ilya Kazan, stars Marlon Brando, of course, in a very iconic role for him. And uh, this just takes place uh, on, on on a rough waterfront on the East Coast. Looks like it's in New York, you know, someplace like that. It... Uh, and the 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 long sh- the the union uh, is being run corruptly. Uh, Lee J. Cobb plays the baddie, uh, who who's the who's the the corrupt union boss, and Marlon Brando uh, plays you know one of these guys who 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 who, uh, who uh, unloads these ships you know who's just well, just looking for work just trying to do his work. His brother, who's played by Rod Steiger, Marlon Brando's brother, is, is also involved with with Lee J. Cobb and is kind of running running the show in in, in, a, in a bad in a bad way. So uh, if if you even think you're going to tattle on on these uh, on on these corrupt union bosses or talk to the press or anybody, the, these guys will kill you. So the the movie starts where one of these guys gets killed, and it turns out it's the brother of uh, the actress, well, Eva Marie Saint plays a character who's you know it's her brother who gets who gets killed, and she, uh, she's pretty fearless and she wants to figure out or find out who killed her brother and what's going on. She you know she's suspicious of all this union activity. Um, also in the film is is Carl Malden who plays a priest uh, and who is uh, pretty fearless. And and same thing, they want to figure out or, or get to the bottom of what's what's going on um, with this. Then you know Marlon Brando falls in love with Eva Marie Saint, and so there's all that going on. But this movie is is really poignant. It uh, Marlon Brando gives an absolutely stunning performance, but it goes you know th- his character arc is really something because. It goes from being kind of a, a bit of a thug, uh, or a real thug, um, you know, kind of supporting or enabling the bad dudes, to seeing a bit of a bigger picture, uh, both for his community, but almost, almost like in this case, more importantly for himself, knowing that he he doesn't have to uh, let these criminals run his life and he's and he's got of course has to be brave and stand up for himself but he does so in a pretty magnificent and memorable way so uh on the waterfront is a brilliant movie also to have note is leonard bernstein the great composer of of west side story among other things uh he wrote the score for this film and in fact i think it might be the only film or one of the few films that he actually wrote an original um, score for you can definitely tell it's Bernstein music and it sure adds a lot. It's 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 wonderful. So 
Uh, again, this TCM Essentials project has been so much fun. I've got just you know a month and a half left, and I'm pretty close. I think I mean I'm going to make it. I just given my schedule and whatnot, I haven't been always to be really being as consistent, be able to watch a movie a week. Uh, but I'm I'm close. I'll probably have to double up in a couple weeks. Coming up, I'm going to have an Alfred Hitchcock week, week week, which I'm pretty excited about. I'm going to watch Rear Window, which is one of these films that's from 1954, and then North by Northwest from 1959. So really excited about that. Um, to round out the 1950s, um, there's also The Searchers from 1956 and Some Like It Hot. Um, again, movies I've already seen, but which I which I really love. Uh, we'll be taking a little dip into French New Wave with Breathless, uh, which was made in 1960. Then I've got Dr. Strangelove from 1964, <laughs> which I love. Um, and anyway, some other... Some other uh, really good, good stuff which i think is going to be uh, a lot of fun and it'll be a fun way to, to end this project i'll i'll put a link uh both to my original post about this on my blog and then uh, uh a link to this book that you could buy on on amazon if you were so inclined it's 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 really been terrific and i just had a blast with these tcm essentials films Well, that does it for this episode of the Movies Past and Present Podcast. Links and more information about all the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. As always, I hope you will enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Until next time, thanks for listening and see you at the movies. Movies.